We're a week later. We're chapter four. We're going to jump right in and keep going. Let's pray, uh, and then we'll get in. Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word. Uh, thank you for things like the Finn family and how you've worked in them. Pray, Lord, that you would show us this morning how you can work in us as well. And Lord, so we pray for this passage. We thank you for Paul writing it and how you led him to write it. And I pray, Lord, we would get this morning what we're supposed to from that, that we might walk out of here a little different, a little better, a little closer to what you created us and called us to be. And so, Father, we uh, we pray that this time would be to that end. In the honor of your son, Jesus, we pray it. Amen. Uh, Romans is a different kind of book than in the Bible. Most of the books in the Bible are like a story. You get a couple characters, there's a plot, something happens, there's a culmination, and you figure out how it works out. Romans is more of a logical book. Uh, where Paul is going to take what he's learned from all of those stories through history and turn them into, this is what it means. Uh, this is doctrine. This is theology. This is what's important, and here's why, and let me help explain it to you in a way that, uh, that might make sense. Uh, so if you're a logic kind of guy, uh, Romans is a great book for you. What he's been doing, uh, first three chapters or so, he's been talking about the value of grace and the difference between uh, what we do and who we are. Uh, do you uh, perform tasks and that's what makes you good? Or has God done something and made you good on his own? Uh, two very different looks at life. Uh, we live in a culture that says you got to perform, you got to behave, you got to stay in line, you got to earn, you got to uh, achieve and all that kind of stuff. Uh, Paul's going to tell you God has a different statement about you than just what you do. And uh, he gets into that argument and he says, hey, ba- you, you know, basically your race doesn't even matter uh, because God is for all people, not just the Jews. You know, Jews were designated uh, in one of the ways, and you couldn't really tell this very often for obvious reasons, uh, by circumcision. It was a sign of their special relationship with God. And what Paul's going to do is he's going to make the argument for, wait, special? No. Everybody gets to be in relationship with God. They happen to be first. And yes, circumcision had a meaning and a value at some point. But it's not the most important thing. In fact, it's just a thing. Everybody has a shot and is offered the most important thing. Because Abraham was not special. He was just first. And what made him righteous, what made him justified, was a little thing called faith. And anyone can do faith. And then he gives us license uh, to not do circumcision if you don't want to. That's a great little argument on what is the value of faith. If you look at your outline, you go at the top, there's a verse there. And, but the title, it says, depending on faith. I stole the title. You'll see where from uh, in a little bit. But let's get into Romans chapter 4, verse 1. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham? Our forefather, according to the flesh, uh, what he's about to make this argument about is, you know, Abraham, Abraham was a forefather. He came before us. Was he better than us? Did he have a special thing that he gained because he was Jewish or Hebrew or because he was uh, part of the first circumcision and all that kind of stuff? Or is he like everybody else and there's something bigger at play than him or just some of the acts that he performed. That's the argument that Paul's going to make. And then he's going to make, uh, give some clarification as to why. Uh, 
Verse 2. For if Abraham was justified by works, the things that he did, he has something to boast about, but not before God. Paul is, is going to get into this idea, you know, if it's about what we do, then no matter how much you do, no matter if you're the best, you still fall short of what God can do and accomplish, what he's capable of. So, yeah, I mean, you could have a, a works-based system, but you'd never be better than two because God will always be number one. He's pointing out a flaw in that system. He says, what does the scripture say? Verse three, Abraham be believed God. What's another word for believed? It starts with F and is five letters long and at the top of your outline. There you go, faith. Good job. Uh, Abraham's faith in God was what counted him as righteousness. He believed in God and belief, is that an action? It's thinking. It is kind of, but it's not traditional action. It's thinking. It's trust. It's faith. Verse 4. Now to the one who works, his wages are counted as, not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. So he's talking about the comparison of two different systems. Here you'd get something because you were due it. Another you'd get it because you believed and it was given to you. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. He's going to quote King David. Uh, and King David's going to talk about uh, the Lord and our relationship with him. And, and in these two verses, quote from uh, Psalms, does it sound like works? Or does it sound like faith in someone else doing it for you? Right? Blessed, verse 7, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds, okay, here's Paul, Paul and David's, uh, their bend on well, the value of deeds, right? What does he call them? Lawless. lawless, okay. Forgot to point that out to first service, but that's your second service extra, okay? Uh, lawless deeds are forgiven. Is that earned or f done by someone else? Done by someone else. And whose sins are covered, which is a great statement and, and visual. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Who's the main character in those two verses? Lord. What happens with your sin is he handles it. He takes care of it. So uh, Paul's making the argument we can't be in a workspace system because years ago, generations ago, uh, here's how David spoke about it. Even he knew, greatest king in their minds of all time, said, this is God's thing that he solves, not our thing that we earn. Verse 9, is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? Great question. Wait, if it was uh, given to David and he understood this as a gift from God, that our deeds are lawless and that we need our sins covered, then, okay, great, God does it, but who's he do it for? Does he do it just for Abraham and his descendants? He, Paul's going to say no. He does it for everyone, right? The circumcised or the uncircumcised. We say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted on him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? Great, great question for a logician. If circumcision's part of the deal... Then, then God's grace to him, his justification, would have to come after he performed the act 
of circumcision. If it happens before, then his, his behavior, his acts are not the primary value. The primary value would have to come from God alone because it was given to him before he did the surgery, before he did the act. We say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. Was it before or after the sermon? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. What? Anybody confused? Be honest. Here, here's what's happening here. He's saying circumcision was a sign of something that had already happened. Like, wait a minute. Well, to understand this, we've got to go back to the Abraham story. He and his wife, Sarah, promised to have kids. God came to them, said, hey, I'm going to break your great nation. Go here, do this. I'll take care of you. And Abraham's looking around going, wait, how are we going to have kids? And Sarah gets the idea, oh, we'll use the maidservant or the slave girl or the concubine, depending on how you want to translate it. You can have a child with her and we'll call that child with Hagar, the child of the promise. So they do their little thing. I'm not going to describe it. And here comes a kid. And God shows up and says, Abraham, what are you doing? I said there was going to be a child through Sarah. Not through, did I say Hagar? Were you listening? No, I said Sarah. So uh, you acted on your own. You tried to solve it on your own. You tried to do works to fix it. Let's give you a sign that you never try to go solve it on your own anymore. And let's give you a sign that you'll remember. Gave him a pretty memorable sign. Okay. Now here's the thing. Here's the thing. We're going to get off the awkward and we're going to get into the, just the timeline. Why did Abraham go to try and solve it with Hagar? Because he believed that God had a promise for him. He had faith that God had something for him. Now he went about it the wrong way, but he was trying to have a kid to follow the promise because he had faith. He did it the wrong way. He did it in sin. God corrected him, the whole thing. But circumcision came long after Abraham had a, a belief, a trust, a hope that God really was going to work in their life. And this is Paul's argument. That he had faith first before he acted. And that the faith is the more important thing, uh, which we know must be the truth because God continued to work with Abraham even when he misstepped. Amen? Amen. Is that good news for you? Yes. It's good news for me, for sure. Okay. Uh, the purpose, why did this all happen? The purpose was to make him the father of a few that, that are circumcised? No. For who? All. I point out that word all the time. So that people get it through their head. There's a lot of people outside the church, outside the faith, that haven't read the Bible enough and they think that we're exclusive. They think that it's just for certain people or all that kind of stuff. It's not. It's for how many? All, all who believe. Do they have to be Jewish? No. Do they have to be circumcised? No. Did they have to be baptized within a certain few number of months of being born? No. Or dedicated? No. Did they have to get married inside a church? No. Okay. Uh, if they drink, are they okay? Yes. What about pierced? I love the pierced one, right? Because when people go, oh, they're pierced, da, 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 I say, well, Jesus was pierced for our transgressions. <laughs> Four times, and his were bigger piercings. Yes. 
right? Anyways, uh, there's one thing that matters. What is it? It's top of your outline. Faith. Faith. It's depending on faith, not gender, not race, not ethnicity, not timeline, none of that stuff, right? It's great, great news. It's a purpose that he would be the father of all. Guess who your daddy is? He's calling Abraham your daddy now in faith, which is a great thing because he was given this great promise and now you're adopted into the family. That's pretty awesome. Uh, it's without being circumcised. That's great news. So that righteousness would be counted to them as well. And to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of what? Faith. That our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. For the promise to Abraham and his what? That he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For it is the adherents of the law who are able to be heirs. Faith is null and the promise is void. If it's about works, then it doesn't matter what you believe. It doesn't matter the promise. You just go do the right rituals. You just go to church on Sunday every week. You get a signature from somebody who you think is important. You do all these right things, baptize at the right time, all that, and that gets you in. And then it doesn't matter what you think. It doesn't matter what you believe. You can kind of go off and do whatever you want. And God says, no, that's not how it works. Paul says, in that system, there is no relationship. It's of no value. Right? For, verse 15... The law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith. In order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all of his offspring, there's that all again, not only to the inherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith, there's our word again, of Abraham, who is the father of us all, as it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. That was the promise, right? What's the problem with that promise? As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. Verse 19, he hoped against hope. What was the hope against hope? He did not weaken in the faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. Abraham looks around at that promise and says, this doesn't make sense. How can I hope in this when I'm too old and she can't bear kids anymore? What's with the goofy promise, God? He could have doubted, but instead of doubting, he tried to figure out a way to solve it because he had faith. He hoped beyond hope. That's the phrase. No distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. Verse 21. Fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. You catch that sentence? What am I going to ask you? Are you convinced? How convinced? Fully convinced that God can do something in your life? 
that he can accomplish the things that he's promised? There's two questions really in that sentence. Great promise. Here's the two questions. Are you convinced fully? And what has he promised you? Do you know what he's promised you? It's a great question. It's a great question. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone. Amen. Are but for ours also. It will be counted to us. He just brought you into the family of the offspring who do all the right things. Come to church every week. Sit with your whole family in a row. Right? I mean, you should do that because it's just awesome. (laughs) Right? But those who believe in him, who raised from the dead, Jesus, our Lord. Who's this Jesus? Last verse of the passage. We're almost done. I know you're freaking out. We're way too early, right? Verse 25. Who's this Jesus? Who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification? Who did the work? He was raised for us. That's why it all depends on faith. Uh, May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Amen. Amen. Get out your outlines. Look at the top. Uh, What's the title? Depending on faith. Right? Here's what you need to know about depending on faith. You, you are a person of faith. Period. End of sentence. No matter what, every single person is a person of faith. Here's the question. What are you putting your faith in? What you accomplish? Who your daddy was? Your genealogy? Where you work? How much you have? How much you didn't have and you made it through anyways? Or is your faith in God? See, if your faith is in anything else, it's really faith in yourself. Okay, ready for a twist on theology? Faith in yourself is actually idolatry. Because who's become God now? (gasps) What? You know, guys... I haven't decided yet. I'm I'm still trying to figure out who's meaner, guys or girls. Girls around each other can be vicious. Amen? Amen. Don't say amen to that. I'm tricking you. (laughs) Guys, we're just as mean, but we do it in kind of a playful, fun kind of way. And I I have a soccer. He's still alive and we're still buddies and we still play soccer. I have a soccer buddy. uh, And we were giving each other the business one time. Now, he knows... He knows not only that I believe, but he knows that what I do occupationally, that I'm a pastor and I preach the Bible on Sundays every week, and he's giving me business, right? And I say, what's the matter? You don't believe in God? He's like, no, I'm an atheist. I was like, oh, oh, no, you just, you believe in God. You just have assumed the role. Good one. Now, you can only use that on friends. <laughs> Okay, you can only use that on friends. Oh no, you believe in God. You you just think you are. If every if there is no God, then who's the center of right and wrong and all this? You are. Now you look at Old Testament and say you shall have no other idols before me. Ooh, number one idol, self. Interesting, right? Uh, but 
The question then becomes, who's your faith in? Is your faith in God or is your faith in yourself? Because pretty much anything else that you're doing, you're doing because it's your own thinking. And so you're following yourself, even if it's into another religion. It's kind of scary. Okay, Uh, because Paul would argue in another book that there are no other gods. So there is no such thing as false religion. There's just him or you, period. Uh, But check out this verse, verse 16. I think the passage kind of hinges on this one in a lot of ways. Uh, that is why it depends on faith. Okay, I told you I didn't, I, I didn't make up the title, Depending on Faith. I stole it right there. Fourth, fifth, and sixth words. Depends on faith. In order that the promise, whose promise? God's promise, may rest on grace and be guaranteed to how many? All. All. And then he used offspring. He doesn't say heirs, offspring, which implies family, Right? All get a shot at being in the family. We're going to come back to that in a minute when we get to our fill-ins, right? Not only to the inherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the what? The faith of Abraham, who is the father, again, family analogy, of us few or all, right? Great, great verse. Deep. A lot of different things there. It touches on many different fundamental doctrines. Are you a memorizer? You memorize stuff? Yep. You know what I'm getting at. I don't mean phone numbers or combinations or passwords. Oh, my gosh. Memorizing <laughs> passwords. Uh, do you memorize verses? Well, I had a friend once that used to do that. No, I know you. Well, not really. I don't know. Memorizing verses? No, you should try. Okay, I'll, I'll start memorizing verses. Give me a short one, right? Jesus wept. Okay, there you go. Jesus wept. You memorized a verse. Here's the problem. I can never remember the reference. Because I don't remember why he wept. I don't remember who he was with or what was going on. Which book was it even written in? And who wrote it? What were they getting? At? Jesus wept. What do you take from that? Very little. There's, there's not a whole lot of depth to it. And it's too easy. What if you took a verse that was more than two words, more than two sentences, more than two thoughts, and you put it to memory because it hit you, shook you, grabbed you, pushed you, forced you, twisted you, and you say, ah, I need to hold on to the depths of what's going on there. What if you took a long verse with a whole bunch of great stuff and said, I'm going to put that one to memory, right? It will change you. It will absolutely change you because when you find a verse that really means something and you put it in memory, it sticks with you and it starts to change how you think. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, no temptation has come upon you, but such is common to man and God is faithful will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able but with the temptation he will provide a way of escape that you may endure it amen first corinthians ten thirteen. i learned that as a teenager some <laughs> years later it's still with me because it hit it grabbed me it took me it forced me into some other places this would be a great verse for you to do I would argue this one might be deeper and have more for you than the one I just recited to you. 
which now I'm in trouble. I might have to memorize this one now, right? Of course, if I ask you to memorize it, then be kind of hypocritical if I didn't do it either, right? Let's see who gets to it first. I got a card for you, <laughs> all right? Um, I think this is all where the chapter kind of hinges. And so and what it talks about is, is what we acknowledge with depending faith about God. Uh, some of it's about ourselves, but here's the thing too. As we look through these, uh, and as we've talked through this passage, you know, it's a little bit about mom. The things that we're going to learn about God in this, in smaller ways, are true about your mom, right? As you listen, as we talk this through, I want you to hear it. Look for it. Listen for it. Uh, so that you know and remember later to think about mom when you do this. If you look at it later, think about it. I gave you a little hint, a little clue. Do you know it? Do you see it up there? First letter of every sentence fill in. Mom. Oh, he is such a cliche pastor. Right? There's got to be an alliteration, an acronym, whatever. Uh, Here's what we learn. One, uh, we learn a dependable faith acknowledges that God made decisions about you. Has God made some decisions about you? He has. Do you know that he's made those decisions about you already? I absolutely love Paul's argument about was it before or was it after? He says it's absolutely before. God's made decisions about you already. Do you know what decision God's made about you? I love having the right answers. You like you like having the right answers? You're playing Trivial Pursuit with a bunch of people. You're over the house or you're at an event or something like that. And they ask a question you're like, I know that one. You're like, yeah, no, that means this. Or that. Right? And you get all excited and then everybody kind of gives you kudos because you got the answer and they didn't know it and the whole thing. Boy, it makes you feel good, doesn't it? I love having the answers. And I love giving you the answers. But today, when I ask you the question, do you know what decision God has made about you? I'm not going to give you that answer. What? You're the pastor. That's what we pay you to do. Give us the answers. Most days, any other Sunday, I give you the answers about what decision God's made about you. Today, I won't give you the answer. You know why? Because I want you to come up with it on your own. I've figured out the decision that God has made about me. It's clear. It's deep. It's meaningful. And I'm fully convinced. Here's what I know. If I give you the answer about what God's decided about you to you and you, it just, you just get it and you don't have to work for it, you won't own it as much. If you have to look for it, think about the verse, whatever, it might sink in, in, in a little bit more. Right, uh, but God has made some great decisions about you, and He made them a long time ago. In fact, He made His decisions about you long before your great granddaddy was even born. See, time's not an issue for Him, but value is. Right. Uh, by the way, has Mom made some decisions about you? Good ones, and she made them already. For a long time, she's been making decisions about you, right? That's true. It's what we love about her. 
Second thing, uh, what does God offer you? Dependable faith acknowledges that God offers deliverance, forgiveness, and blessing. Right? You notice that? In in this uh, little two-verse section where Paul quotes David 7 and 8, he said, blessed is the man, right? And he talks about blessing and forgiveness. Blessing and forgiveness of what God's done for him or for that person. Covering their sin. Right, the the Lord will not hold their sin against them. Uh, you know that God offers you that. He also offers you deliverance. Very last verse of the passage. It says, uh, talking about Jesus. It says, "Who was delivered? Jesus was delivered." It's like, oh well, Scott, that's that's Jesus delivered. That's not us delivered. Yeah, but watch what it says about it. Who was delivered up for? Why? For. For our transgressions and raised for our, and then big, heavy, confusing word, right? Justification. You know what your justification is? It's your deliverance. He was delivered so that you could be delivered and be justified. You don't have to earn it anymore. How cool is that? By the way, has mom ever offered you deliverance? got you out of a bind, forgiven you for something you did wrong or been a blessing to you? Absolutely. Isn't mom a microcosm of God? She's a little picture of what God is like, right? Lastly, dependable faith acknowledges God makes hope against hope possible. In that verse 18 It says, Abraham hoped against hope. He tried to make the promise come true because he believed that God was going to make something happen that he couldn't see. But Paul understands and what Abraham lived is what's taught about hope in the book of Hebrews. Faith is the things hoped for and the assurance of things you've yet to see. It's the belief that God can do things even if you can't see them yet. It's the hope that he's going to take care of you. That's what faith is. Not that you'll solve it. Not that you'll have enough. Not that somehow you're smart enough or have the right lean or any of those kind of things. So that no, that God makes hope against hope possible. That's great news. You know what those three are? I mean, there's the mom acronym, right? There's mom's kind of all those things for us. Mom's made some hope against hope happen. But look at the first one. Isn't the first one about our past? The second one, isn't that about our present? And the last one, it's about our what? Good guess, Kevin. Past, present, and future. That's what faith is. That God could actually do something. Make a difference. That's what we believe in. Uh, That's what mom has in small ways provided for us. And now the question becomes, do you put faith in yourself or you put faith in God and trying to follow him? See, from here, from from chapter four on, he's going to start talking about what does obedience then look like if we really put our faith in him? Uh, He's going to take 12 chapters to work that out. 
It's going to be awesome. I hope you'll be here. But as today, you're going to remember to have faith in the Lord. And then you're going to take mom and have a great time with her today. Or you're going to call her. And you're going to tell her, hey, you delivered me out of some great stuff. Thanks for forgiving me when I needed it. And you've been such a blessing. Boy, you helped me to hope for things that I never hoped for. And I thank you for the decisions that you made about me. Right? Sometimes kids got to be reminded. I had to remind one of my kids this week. I made a lot of decisions about you before you were even conscious and knew what was going on. You know how many times I changed your diapers? Right? Kids got to be reminded. But it depends on faith. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this morning and thank you for uh, what you do for us, before us, during the present and in the future, ahead of us. And I thank you, Lord, that we can depend on you. That we can hope. We can experience the things yet to see. And I pray, Lord, you would take all of these things and change our thinking. That we might think more like you. Think more about the most important things. If, if our actions aren't the most important, then what is? And I pray, Lord, for those that are here this morning, they would contemplate what is the decision that you've made about them already and that you would make that clear for them. Father, we thank you for all these things and we pray them in your precious son Jesus' name. Amen.